This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam. I'm your host, and we've got a great show today. Welcome, Richard. It's good to be with you, Sam. Uh, we do these every once in a while. Uh, we'll look at a, a leader back in history and just see what we can learn. And it's always, always a fascinating uh, experience to to go dig back into the life of some of the great leaders of our time. I think we've done, uh, I don't know, we've probably done almost 10 now. Yeah. Just some great... Uh, some oh, and there's great... lots more to come. Oh, so. yeah. Lots more to come. <laughs> we've done C.H. Uh, Spurgeon. We've done um, Churchill. Washington. Uh, Washington. Lincoln. Grant. Yeah. So we've got political, presidential, business. We did a Rockefeller. Um, Rockefeller. Morgan. Yeah. J.P. Morgan. And uh, today we're we're sticking with the um, the Christian leader, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. The uh, we've got D.L. Moody, yeah, uh, on on deck here, and uh, you know it's uh, it's it's fascinating always to look at these guys' lives. And so maybe let's start with uh, um, why why should we look at D.L. Moody as a as a leadership figure? Well, I, I've got to tell you, I, I have a few favorites uh, in my, you know, I love biographies, as you know, yeah, I've got yeah. lots of them, but there's probably uh, half a dozen people that are just uh, extra special to me. And uh, and Moody is one of those, he's in that my, in my favorites category, uh, just always has been. Uh, there's a great biography kind of based this talk on by John Pollock. It's not a, not a it's a, just a well-written uh biography it's actually uh endorsed by billy graham says it's the best uh i think uh, biography on moody that uh, he he's aware of uh i really enjoyed it it's it's one of those books that just inspires you as you read uh and uh and and kind of a, just if you look at his life just you know why why study him uh on the uh, fly leaf here it says that uh he, it's and he, and he dies in I think about 1899. So he, you know, he he dies before the 1900s begin. But uh, still, he it's estimated that he traveled around a million miles. Wow! Um, and to, to think he didn't earn any air miles for that. But I know, what uh, a shame. But he he traveled about a million miles, and it's estimated that he preached to more than a hundred million people. Um, wow! In fact, it's basically uh, it's it's pretty well assumed or understood that until the advent of Billy Graham, uh, D.L. Moody may well have been the greatest evangelist um, in terms of just the number of converts. Uh, it's estimated that over a million people were converted under his ministry. Um, and, uh, and, and besides that, uh, something that just strikes me, and I, I just, no way, I'm, I don't have time to list it all, but uh, uh, Moody was the kind of guy that not only did he do a lot, but he became a catalyst for all kinds of other movements. Yeah. And uh, when you read his story, you, you're constantly coming across famous Christian leaders, and you realize, oh, they they were converted under Moody's ministry, or mm. they were students at Cambridge and were converted and ended up being missionaries in China later, or started yeah. you know or they started a publishing company or they became they started a christian movement uh uh but they were inspired by moody of course there's church of moody uh bible institute and yeah. moody church and moody press and uh all just all manner of different organizations that uh, were birthed and 
uh, and so you look at his life and you, you you don't just look at what he individually did but the, the he just had a way of just uh inspiring other people and tons and tons of people someone like an fb meyer that some people may be familiar with became a quite an influential uh british pastor wrote over 70 books uh very influential in his day but uh, he would say that uh, he was just sort of a, a stodgy British minister until he came across Moody's style of ministry and passion for the Lord, and it transformed F.B. Meyer. Mm. And uh, many, many of the great leaders of that era, the early 20th century, uh, would say that uh, being exposed to Moody completely transformed their ministry and their leadership and took it to another level. So, well, you know, and I think that's interesting because so often, you know, we, we'll look at a leader and, and, you know, maybe they led their organization very well and, and, you know, they, they led themselves well and they led their followers well, but, I think really the the mark of a, of a great leader is one when you can look back at their leadership and see there's a lot of other leaders and things that you know blossomed out of their um, leadership essentially. Yeah. And I think that's really remarkable because it, it, in some ways it's easy to lead something, but I think it's it's so much harder to lead in a way that like generates more leadership. Yeah, coming from behind. Yeah, you. and it and it lasts beyond you, and it can, yeah. you know, a hundred years later, there's still there's still a deal, people you know, Moody carrying on, and uh, yeah, and still respecting and revering the name. Um, so, yeah, so there's uh, certainly if you're not from, and and so, obviously he's a Christian leader, uh, a pre, a, a, eventually an evangelist. He runs a school for some time, um, but. But we're looking at him because he's a leader. He's a person who comes in when there's nothing, and when he leaves, uh, there's all kinds of stuff yeah. going on. And well, and I, so I guess before we get into so much of what he did, let's maybe take a step back and, and were there things, and I suspect there were, that he had to overcome in his life before he could really you know, become the leader that he was meant to be. Yeah. You know, his father was an alcoholic, was basically, uh, uh, seemed like a nice enough person, but he was uh, lazy, unemployed most of the time, had nine kids uh, that uh, were barely, barely eking out in existence. And uh, the the father died when uh, Moody was, uh, was four years old. So he basically grows up without a dad in his life. And, uh, has to go out and work early, and so he, he he never gets very much schooling. He had to go get a job, had to try to help provide for his family, and yeah. so early on, he's just trying to find work, and uh, and he would uh, say that that was uh, something he always suffered from. Uh, not that he could have done it any differently, but he always felt that his lack of education harmed him, that uh, he never, I don't know that he ever graduated from any school, uh, mm. He uh, and he, he he butchered the English language, which is so amazing to me. Yeah, here's a guy who becomes the biggest evangelist, and t- only surpassed by Billy Graham, and yet uh, he's uneducated. Um, and he and he, in fact he he had all kinds of ways he would butcher the language. It was said that he he said the word Jerusalem in only two syllables. Uh, and uh, I think they said the same about when he'd say Mesopotamia. I think he he boiled that down to about two syllables. So, <laughs> and he uh, would go to places like Cambridge, of all places, <clears throat> has this uncouth uh, 
uneducated American, and these Cambridge snobs would come just to make fun of him and just to just to have a good laugh at the way he butchered the English language. And there are stories of uh, them just kind of roaring in laughter. He would he he could never say Daniel. First time he preached in Cambridge, he was preaching on Daniel and the lion's den, but he would just sort of blend the the Daniel, Daniel, what he would say, not Danielle, Daniel, just Daniel. And uh, they would all just just start laughing at the way he butchered the the words. But the more that they listened to him, the more that they began to sense this was a man that had a message and uh, Mm -hmm. some great, great movements of God. But he, um, in fact, when he, uh, you know, of course, his famous story is that uh, he, he, he wanted to become a he wanted to make money. Of course, he grew up in poverty. Yeah. And so he, his ambition in life was to become a successful business person. And so he uh, eventually gets a job. Interestingly, he had an uncle that had a, uh, I, I think had a shoe store and, uh, the uncle knew that he needed work, but wasn't really offering anything to him. And so finally, uh, Moody went to his uncle and asked for a job and was given one and was told, you know, given a lot of uh, guidance on how to conduct himself. And uh, and about 25 years later, that uncle had hit financial crisis and was in dire need of money. And Moody actually then had, had money, and he actually gave him money back and said, you, you got me started out, and I owe you a lot. And he said, don't treat this as a loan, just treat this as a as my one of my payments back to you for all you taught me. And mm. But uh, he goes off to... To, into the shoe sales uh, uh, business, and at 18 years old, he's uh, uh, he is uh, at work one Saturday, and uh, but he had he had uh, gone to a church and uh, and uh, was was put into a Sunday school class as a young man. He's about 18 or so at the time. It's a all young men's class, and uh, Edward Kimball was his Sunday school teacher. And uh, there's a revival going on at the church that week. And uh, Kimball decides that uh, before that week is out, he's going to check with every young man in his class to make sure that they at least know how to be a Christian. And so Moody is uh, designated for that day. And uh, and Kimball goes down to where he's working, and he's standing outside the shoe store, and he, and he has second thoughts. He thinks, I don't want to embarrass this young man. He's working. I come into his working place and and share Christ with him. Like he'll just embarrass him. And I, maybe I need to just find a different time to talk to him. And, and he's standing there trying to decide. And, but he just feels like God is the one who put that on his heart Mm -hmm. that day. So he decides to brace himself and go in. And if Moody's not interested, he'll just leave. And, uh, but Moody is interested and they go into a back room and there in the back, uh, processing room, that shoe store, he leads, uh, Moody to faith in Christ. And so, uh, and Moody always looked back to that time and said he was so grateful that he had a Sunday school teacher. And, uh, you know, when you, of course, a lot of people have looked back later and said under Moody's ministry, there were all kinds of great leaders who were saved. And, uh, ultimately it goes all the way down to, uh, uh, to Billy Graham, even, uh, just right. the, the different connections and so on. And, and you trace it all the way back to say, here's a, a Sunday school teacher that, uh, who leads the most famous evangelist of that era to Christ. Um, no one really knows Kimball's name anymore, but they would know Moody's name. Right. Uh, and so uh, that that in itself is such a wonderful story. But uh, interestingly, 
then uh, now that he's a Christian, he's you have to be presented before the deacons or the elders to be admitted into church membership. And so, you know, it's, they they want people to be members. It's not a it's not a hard exam. But he he gets up and they ask him something about well, tell us what has Christ done for you. <laughs> That uh, you know what, what what important thing has Jesus uh, done on your behalf? And uh, Moody said, uh, "I don't know. I think Christ has done uh, some good, some good things, but I, I don't think of anything particular as I know of." <laughs> and so he's one of the only people who fails the church admission test. <laughs> That's to, funny. They have to have him come back later. It's like. He's he's giving his life. We're going to give you a study guide. Yeah, it's like you 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 don't even know for sure what Christ has done, but uh, so maybe we better hold off on that. But so he, uh, but Moody is one of those passionate kind of guys that even though he doesn't, uh, he he's just pretty ignorant, uh, honestly, to to start with, Uh, and and uh, he as he sort of is just starting out in church. he would get real, he was always passionate and uh, enthusiastic. And so he would, uh, you know, as he's discovering stuff for the first time, he would be all excited and he'd want to share it. And so he'd go to their church uh, prayer meeting uh, where, where people would share things. And, uh, and he, he would get up and he would start sharing stuff. And, um, and he said, I, I, I would notice uh, the, the adults, people like their shoulders would be squirming when I was talking. And, and basically he, he was so hard to understand. He, he so butchered the language. He, you know, he, he turned four syllable words into two syllable words. <laughs> and so it was just, he, finally, someone just had to politely ask him not to speak in public until he had a better mastery of the English language. And uh, of course, to me, that's just so fascinating to think. And yet this is the guy who will be the greatest speaker, the most sought after uh, pulpiteer of his day, but as he starts out, uh, and, and so he, he doesn't ever go to seminary and, and typically you didn't get ordained until you graduated from seminary. And so he's, he doesn't get ordained and, um, and, and it's a choice he ultimately makes not to identify himself with a particular denomination to say I'm Baptist or Presbyterian or whatever. Um, and that, and some people said, well, you'll never be admitted anywhere. Nobody will want you because you're not, you haven't aligned yourself with a particular group, but what happens is that helps him as he does worldwide meetings and things because um, people, everybody sort of claims Moody and he's not seen as just one belonging to a particular camp. But so many things that he starts out doing, uh, you just look at and say, if I were trying to lay bets on who's going to become a great orator. It's not going to be the guy <laughs> who's not even allowed just to share where people are just sharing testimonies in church. And he's asked not even to do that because he's such a bad speaker. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll look at uh, the transformation that takes place in Moody's. Now more than ever, the world needs great leaders. As a leader, now is the time for you to have a much-needed retreat that will bring fresh energy, new ideas, and practical insights to become a more effective leader in this new day. Registration is now open for the online leadership retreat. Use code BLACKABY10, that's BLACKABY and the numbers 1-0, to receive 10% off your registration fee. All sessions have been pre-recorded and will be available starting August 12th. Visit onlineleadershipretreat.com to learn more 
and to register. Links will be in the show notes. Well, Richard, it's uh, it's not looking good for Moody. Uh, <laughs> his future looks bleak. Uh, if, if he's going to go on and become one of the greatest evangelists the world's ever known, uh, he certainly got off to a rocky start. Uh, yeah, I did. And, uh, you know, but the thing about Moody is that there's just a series of divine appointments, it seems, that he has where mm. God will bring just the right person around his life. And he's always sensitive to that. He, he, I guess because of his upbringing, perhaps. Sometimes people will say, you know, I just had such a, a rough uh, childhood or uh, such a messed up early, you know, beginning in my life or young adulthood. But for people like Moody, what that did is it, it always gave him a certain humility. It kept his feet grounded. And we've seen that with a number of these biographies that instead of just feeling insecure and, and, uh, you know, lacking confidence, it just, it just made you realize how that everything that was happening in your life was because of God. And so just to keep your focus on him yeah. and that's really what Moody would do. And so, uh, early on when he was, he, you know, and I just love, uh, the passion of Moody and, and I'll tell you, I've been around a lot of pastors and there, a lot of times I'll be around some folks and they're good people, but they just not much is happening in their church, their ministry. And sometimes you get around people and you just think, you know, you just nice enough guy, but you just need to light a fire to the guy, you know, like he's just, you just get him, it's get him coasting. going here. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, just kind of going through the motions and laid back, whatever else. Moody was not laid back. He was, uh, always on the go, uh, always passionate. And, uh, so he, you know, when, when he first, uh, is all passionate about being a Christian, um, he, goes to a church and says, you know, he, he wants to serve, wants to do something. And, uh, they, they say, well, you could want you, you could teach like a Sunday school class, but, uh, but they don't, they, but he's such a bad speaker. They don't really want to subject him to any existing classes. So they yeah. just sort of say, well, go get, go get a class, go get some boys. And so he goes out into basically the slums of Chicago and just start like a Pied Piper. He just starts just collecting ruffian boys and kids out in the street and says come on with me and early on he had some pretty questionable methods of course he's just figuring this thing out you know so he'd yeah. offer candy and prizes uh, to whoever brought the most friends and he just shamelessly trying to you know motivate kids to come to church to sunday school and he was such a fun guy himself that uh people loved to be around him and uh he he knew how to make things interesting keep it moving and He's a born salesman, so he, uh, before long, he's got uh, this a, a whole warehouse full of these kids off the street. Ultimately, I mean, they're, he get, he builds this school, and they're, they're running like over 2,000 kids every week. And ultimately, this is going to develop into a church. And, uh, wow. Um, and, and, and how old is he at this point? He's like... Uh, 18 or 20 or so 20 wow. in his early 20s but he it, but when he starts out he was the, the funnest kind of guy to be around in just one-on-one -on -one. but then when he when he would uh go to preaching he just sort of preached hellfire and brimstone because that's kind of what he knew and uh at <laughs> yeah. a certain point he goes to england and he and, and england became kind of sort of like Sort of like the Beatles, you know, when they go to Germany and become famous and then they return. Yeah. Uh, for for Moody, he goes to England and you you would think that's the worst possible place. These guys invented the English language. Like they, they're snobs, yeah, you know. They, they look down on these American uh, frontiersmen anyway. Uh, but he goes over there and he, and he listens to Spurgeon. He becomes, he really admires Charles Spurgeon. They're, they're contemporaries. 
Uh, he goes by and pays a visit with George Mueller uh, to, to learn about faith. And along the way, he meets a young man. He's uh, just, just like 20 or so himself, Henry Morehouse. Uh, he's, a, he's a converted pickpocket. He spent time in jail, but he's gloriously saved. And he, mm-hmm. he butchered the language almost worse. And he's got a heavy British or I think Irish accent that's uh, worse than, than Moody's. And he says to Moody, he'd love to come and, and preach uh, for, for Moody. And Moody <clears throat> just kind of blows him off. Like this guy's, Moody can hardly understand him. And, <laughs> and he says a very diminutive, small yeah. little guy, dre- very dressed very casually. But, um, but Morehouse, uh, then he gets a telegram from Morehouse saying, I'm in the States, uh, you know, happy to come up to Chicago if you'd, ha- want, if you'd love to preach for you. And, well, uh, it's like, he, he keeps blowing him off. It was like, well, you know, if you're in the area, let me know. And, uh, and then finally he's oh, in no, the area, in you the know, area. <laughs> and he just kept coming. And finally it's like, well, we've got this little, like a Bible study group, uh, Wednesday night. Why don't you, let's just have you share a testimony there. And so he does. And, and I think, uh, Moody's wife may have been there. And so afterward he, he asked, how was it? And she said, oh, it was really good. He talked about the love of God and, you know, not instead of the judgment of God. And, uh, so Moody lets him speak at something else, and um, but he's and, and he asked uh, his wife again. His wife said, "Well, he, he he preaches different than you, Moody. Like he he talks that he tells people that God loves them, not that God just is going to send them to hell." And uh, huh. uh, and that and, and first he Moody gets a little miffed about that, <laughs> and so finally he listens to uh, him himself. And and Morehouse will preach he. For a whole week, he preaches on John three sixteen, and every week, every sermon though is different. He t- traces a different sort of uh, argument and storyline out of John three sixteen, and and when Moody finally hears him preach that the first time, he gets up and announces, "We're going to have him preach for us every night this week." I encourage every all your friends to come hear him, and the the biographer says it changed Moody. He it, not that he didn't still be, you know believe in the other side of God, the, his wrath and justice and holiness, but uh, it softened Moody to to realize how powerful it was just to proclaim the love of God. And mm. that it was a, a transformative time. Uh, and God also put Ira Sankey, his musician, around him. And uh, it's interesting. Sankey was uh, working at a at a good job, making good money. Was also a singer part you know on, on the side. And Moody, when he hears him sing, comes up to him and says, uh, you, you've got to quit your job and come full time and, and work with me, and which would involve a huge pay cut for Sankey. And Sankey says, why? He says, why? He said, I've been looking for you for the last eight years. Hmm. And, uh, and that, Moody kind of had that spell on people that people would literally leave their jobs and change their life, move to new cities, whatever, just to, to be a part of what he was doing. At a certain point, when Moody now has gotten this big uh, crowd, he's got a couple thousand people hearing him speak every week in uh, Chicago. Uh, one day he's preaching away and uh, there's these two women uh, s- sitting at the front and they're both praying fervently during the service, Mrs. Uh, Cook and Mrs. Hawkshurst. And afterward, Moody comes over to them and says, what were you praying about? And they said, well, we're praying for you. And Moody's like, well, why were you praying for me? He said, there's a bunch of unbelievers here today you should have been praying for them that they'd be converted and they said no we're praying for you because you don't have the power and moody is just blown away it's like did you notice how many thousand people were in here listening to me preach today and uh, and basically um they said yeah but what they were trying to say is moody you're but this is all you it's about you 
you you mean well, you want to do good, but it's just this is the best that DL Moody can do. Yeah, it's the DL Moody show. But yeah, and it's like you're, but it, but but it's not a you not you haven't yet seen what God could do, and uh, that at first he's just taken back by that. But uh, Moody's a pretty humble guy, and he and he and he says that those words began to haunt me, and he said I got I began to realize I've been just working myself to death trying to grow this church, but I I had not yet seen what God could do, and mm. he. And he said, uh, I began just to cry out to God and say, I, I want, I'd rather die than spend the rest of my life not having the power of God. And uh, at a certain point, uh, a little bit later, he's in New York City, and all of a sudden he just feels like God just approaches him and just says, do you really want the power? And so Moody, he just found a place. He, he knew someone who had a house nearby in New York. He goes and knocks on the door, and he says, do you, have just, do you have a guest room or a spare room, someplace I could just go and be alone with God? And he goes in that room, closes the door, and he just describes it as if the presence of God just filled that room. And he said, the glory of God just overwhelmed me. And he mm-hmm. said, I'd, I'd never known God like that before. And uh, basically, he just says from that, that uh, time onward, he said, um, uh, I, I, God just took my ministry to a whole nother place. He said, I, I, might, I might even preach the same sermon I'd preached before, but he said this time there were all kinds of converts. And he said, I just saw the difference it makes when you do something in the power of God and when you do it in the power of Moody. And uh, that, that changed everything. One other thing that, you know, he just had these divine appointments. Reminds me a lot of my dad just... Uh, he he was in England one time, and uh, he met a, a guy uh, named Henry Varley, and they actually had an all-night prayer meeting just praying for God to work and so on. And at the end of the, the next, well, the next morning, they're both bleary-eyed and tired and moving on, and, and just kind of as a casual statement, Henry Varley says, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do uh, uh, in, with a man fully consecrated to him. Barley forgot he even said that soon afterward, but that stuck with Moody, um, and Moody just couldn't get it out of his mind to say, the 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 one thing that separates someone from being used powerfully of God is how surrendered you are, and he said uh, the more surrendered you are to God, the less that you can get in the way of what God wants to do in your life, uh, the more God can do, and he just made a commitment and said, I want to be that man. I want to, God, I want to be the person that was more surrendered to you than anyone else who's ever lived in history. And, um, of course he, looking back, you would say, well, he probably wasn't 100% surrendered because he was human being and flesh and blood, but, um, but he became the greatest evangelist perhaps in history up to that point that there, there were those key moments where there'd be a conversation or something said, and, uh, that would just, it would change the whole trajectory of his life and yeah. ministry. And so many stories, uh, that you could, you could look at, uh, for instance, uh, at one point he comes to England and, uh, he doesn't have any appointments. No, no one has scheduled him to speak. It's kind of earlier on in his ministry. And, uh, he, he, he doesn't really know what to do. And so he just kind of says, well, God, I, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to just knock on doors and try to promote myself. Just show me if you've got, if there's nothing for me to do, I'll just book a passage back, uh, to America. And so he goes to this pastor's meeting just to have fellowship with other pastors in the area. And this uh, pastor says, well, I'm in the uh, Arendelle Congregational Church. Uh, why don't you come preach my church this Sunday, so morning and night? Well, it's, it's just 
it's not a very spectacular church, but it's uh, the only invitation he has. So he goes there and and he preaches in the morning, and and things don't really nothing spectacular happens. It's just an ordinary service. They're polite, but uh, no movement of God or anything that he can tell. In fact, it's when he leaves, he he actually considers canceling the evening service. He just thinks, well, this is not doesn't seem to be where God's working. But uh, but what he doesn't know is that there's a young girl that uh, is in that service, and she goes home, and she has an invalid um, sister that can't get out of bed. She's a saintly young girl that just prays a lot in her bed in her room and reads and studies her Bible. And and so the the, the sister comes back from church and, t- and goes and tells her invalid sister. Her, the sister's name is uh, Marianne Adelard, and she says to Marianne, we had this American come today, uh, preach, uh, and her sister says, well, what was his name? And um, the sister says, well, it was D- Dwight Moody uh, from Chicago. And uh, Marianne Edlard gets all excited, and she says, God's answered my prayers. Uh, and her sister says, what are you talking about? And Marianne reaches under her pillow, and she has an article from the paper about D.L. Moody. And hmm. she'd read about D.L. Moody preaching in America, and in her heart she just felt that that's what God needed uh, for her church. And so she... Had, would pray every day for God to bring D.L. Moody to speak at her church. Wow. And didn't even know that he was going to do that till after he had. Well, that night, uh, Moody preaches again, and when he gets to the end of the service, he just feels led to say, if any of you would like to uh, give your life to, to Christ uh, and, and go to a back room and speak with a counselor, would you just stand up? Well, a couple of hundred people stand up, and Moody thinks that they must not have understood what he said, and so he, he has them all sit down, and he says, no, I, what, I'm, what I'm asking is, and he's trying to use his best uh, English he can, is <laughs> if you would like to go back in the back room, speak to a counselor, and pray, and <clears throat> ask Christ to forgive you of your sin, and so on, then, then only then <clears throat> do I want you to stand up. Well, more people stand up than the first time. He makes him sit down again, and he makes it as hard as he can. And every time he does that, more people stand up. Hmm. Well, uh, over 400 people uh, pray to receive Christ. And, and so he stays that week, and, and a movement begins uh, that— uh, and then, of course, he gets asked to speak in church after church after church. And uh, ultimately, he ends up spending two years uh, in England just preaching and meeting all the influential people there and— and uh, by the time he comes back to the States, um, he's uh, become a world-renowned uh, speaker. And the other thing that's interesting, too, is that he builds this big uh, church in Chicago, and uh, uh, and he's uh, just going like crazy. And then the, the great Chicago fire strikes, and it burns down his house, burns down his church. And uh, he ultimately rebuilds it, but he feels kind of released from that after that. And uh, they... Uh, he he still is technically the pastor and the leader there, but he begins to bring in associates to to lead a bunch of that, and it's almost as if that frees him up to become a world evangelist. Now he's he doesn't feel tied to just pastoring that one church anymore. He he's seen how quickly it could burn to the ground and be done, and and uh, and so what seems like a disaster, your whole church building burns down, actually is God's way of releasing him to an international ministry. Wow. And so he, many, many things he does. He's a, he's a humble guy. Um, he says some things that are funny. He, you know, he one time talked about people that had these long, drawn-out prayers. He says, I tell you, friends, 
Some people's prayers need to be cut at both ends and set fire to in the middle. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and there's times where he'll just uh, you know, one last maybe story. He he later he'll start a, a, a pastor's conference. Uh, a lot of these things he starts are, are carrying on even to this day. But uh, he'd have this conference and. Uh, and he would always be the headliner. He was always the most famous preacher there. And so he would always preach. But then when he wasn't preaching, instead of going back into the green room or going home back to his hotel, um, he'd get a notepad and sit out in the audience and fervently take notes. And people would say to him, you know, why, I mean, why are you taking notes? You're the, everyone's taking notes from you. And, uh, but he was keenly aware that he had so much to learn. And, uh, one time while he's speaking, he was kind of coming down hard in the church and saying there's a lot of pastors and churches that aren't on fire for the Lord. And, and this young kind of bit of a, a snobbish uh, seminary student, as you, as you might expect, <laughs> he makes a, he, he speaks up during his sermon and says, I've never, I've never seen a church like what you're describing. And he, I mean, he, he says it right in the middle of Moody's sermon and, and people can hear it. He doesn't say it necessarily rudely, but he, he sort of challenges what Moody is saying. And Moody basically just snaps at him, which is unlike Moody, but just basically says at your age, you, 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 you've hardly seen anything. How would you know? Just basically wait till you grow up and you'll, you will see it. Uh, and, uh, and then he just carries on with the sermon and just kind of just, just crushes the guy. Well, I guess near the end of his sermon, when he stops and he says, uh, folks, I, I just have to stop and apologize. He said, the young, I, I was very unkind to a young man early on. And um, I I shouldn't have done that. That was that was hmm. that was not Christ-like of me to do that. He said, "I've asked. I want to ask God to forgive me, and I want to ask this young man." And so he climbs down off the platform, walks over to this know-it-all seminary student, takes him by the hand, says, "I'm sorry. I shouldn't have treated you that way." Well, of course, that was just sort of the heart of Moody. Like that's what kind of endeared people to him is yeah. that he was the greatest preacher. But and he would say things out of the flesh just like everybody else, but uh, he had a humility to come back around. And uh, that one last story about him. He was uh, such a passionate guy, and people just they wanted to support him because uh, he, you know, he was straightforward. Uh, he was very careful about finances. He, he, no one ever accused him of enriching himself, uh, although he could have very easily. He had a lot of wealthy Brits and Americans that su- sponsored him. He would sign away all kinds of rights uh, to finances to help support schools and other things. But uh, at one point, Cyrus McCormick is a, a big inventor of some farming equipment in the uh, Chicago area, and he he was enamored with Moody, and so he gave a lot of money to support his projects. And at one point, Moody needed some money for a school he was trying to uh, develop, and and so he he uh, went to McCormick, uh, his house, and and he said, I need, I need $1,000. And this is, you know, in the, the late 1800s. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And and McCormick said, DL, I said, I've already given you thousands and thousands of dollars just even recently. I can't believe you're coming back for another thousand. And Moody said, I'm sorry, but I just, you know, here's what we're doing, and we, we need this money right away, and I, I have nowhere else to turn, and I, and I know you, you, can, you can do it. And so McCormick, says, all right, well, just wait here. And he goes upstairs to his study to, to write a check. And as soon as he does that, uh, Moody is smitten because he really needed $2,000. He just didn't have the nerve to ask for two. And, and so, but he realizes, oh, I, I, I just didn't have enough faith. I should have asked for two. 
Uh, and so he gets down on his knees and he prays the whole time McCormick is upstairs writing the check, saying, God, forgive me for not having the faith for, to ask for two. If I'd had two, we could complete the program, and, and I know it would not hurt McCormick to give two. Well, McCormick comes back down, gives him a sealed envelope, and so Moody takes him, thanks him and, and takes off, and he runs over and he and he goes to a, he knocks on the door of a pastor friend who lived nearby and he and he hands him the envelope and he says open that up see if there's not two thousand dollars in there, and now he asked McCormick for one thousand yeah and he, he came back and he but he prayed for two and he said I, I'm te- I want to see if my if I've got the faith if God's given me the faith, sure enough he opens the envelope and there's a check for two thousand in there, hmm. and so he later asked McCormick what what did you do he said well. I, you know, I went up there and I was a little miffed that you've come back so soon for more money. But he said, the more I thought about your heart and it's not for you, it's it's obviously for the Lord's work and God is blessing you. He said, God really convicted me to say, I just need to, you're, here's a man of God, you need to support him and bless him. And so I decided to bless you and give you two. Well, that's, uh, that was just stories like that yeah. over and over and over again. Uh, just a simplistic faith in God. Uh, passionate, all in. Uh, at the end of his days, uh, the uh, you know he his doctor actually told him he had a heart issue and he needed to slow down. He was always a pretty big man, and at a certain point he felt like he, he should. And, he, and uh, but then he was sailing back from England on a ship, and the ship ran into distress. It looked like it was going to sink. All the people were facing almost certain death, and uh, God ultimately saved the ship and so on. But it really looked tired there for a while. And Moody, when he got back, he he told people, he said, you know, I realize I, my life could be over in, in an instant. He said, why am I trying to save myself? I, I, I want to, I, basically he said, I want to go 90 miles an hour until God takes me home because uh, I don't know how long I've got. Mm. And uh, interestingly, that the doctor that told him that died the next year of bad health himself. And <laughs> Moody lived on. Uh, and uh, did some of his greatest work in his final years. Um, and he dies, you know, not not an old man, certainly, but uh, a man that to this day, 100 plus years later, still uh, you can't go anywhere in the yeah. world without feeling the impact of his life. Well, these are always uh, a pleasure to to sit down and, and look at these uh, leaders from the past. And uh, D.L. Moody is certainly one for the books. Yeah, and uh, I we'll, encourage you to read his biography. Yeah, it's we'll a great leave, read. We'll leave links to that in the show notes so you can pick up your copy of that biography and get the full picture. <laughs> um, but uh, well, that'll be it for now. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.